Well, that was a real blessing to hear from our kids. Amen. That was uh, it's such a great opportunity for us as a church to build into the spiritual lives of our kids. And I'm just so thankful for uh, our volunteers who are teaching our kids now. Um, and then also the ones that are here on Wednesday nights for Kids for Truth. Uh, it's, it, it really is a big deal in the culture that we're living in today that our kids can understand at a young age something as simple as God is good. And uh, so the opportunity that we have to instill these things uh, into our kids, I think is such an important thing for us to do as a church. And I'm just so thankful that we have uh, volunteers and, and adults and people who are willing to pour themselves into uh, our children and to really uh, what, what they're doing is they are storing up for themselves uh, treasure in heaven um, by investing uh, that into our kids. So thank you for doing that. And I know there are opportunities for more. So if that's something you'd like to do, please let us know because we would certainly like the opportunity to talk with you. Well, let me just once again welcome you to Fellowship Church. If you are uh, new here and, and a visitor or haven't been here very long, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here and you've heard a lot of things already in our service. And now we're going to move into the time of teaching and preaching the word of God, which is also an important part of, of why we gather each and every week here. And we've been studying uh, a book in the Bible. We've been studying the book of Acts and we've just been working through uh, this text verse by verse. And uh, today, as we continue in that study, uh, we're going to be looking at a very interesting passage of scripture. This is a really interesting uh, passage. It's small, uh, but it, it has uh, some, some very unique, what I would consider to be supernatural occurrences and, uh, and, and I think they, they require some, some explanation and we'll do that. And they're also ones that we can relate to, uh, I think very well. And, and one of the things that I thought of in, in how we relate is, is just the question of how often do you, do you pray for the Lord to lead and to guide you? Just think about that. How, how often do you in your life, are you praying for the Lord to lead and guide you? And, and how do you know when he is leading and guiding as opposed to you leading and guiding? Or as opposed to someone else leading and guiding you? See, we pray this way and we, and we ask these things of God, which is, which is good. But how do we know that it is God leading? And, and how, can, how can we tell if it's God or not? Is there a way for us to be able to? To determine that, well, well, in our text today, what we're going to see in this story uh, that God has given us in his word is that Paul, with his, with his missionary group, is literally stopped by God, not once, but twice. And, and then when he's not expecting it at all, God intervenes supernaturally and then gives him very specific direction on where he should go and what he should do. And so again, there's really a lot to learn in this very small passage of scripture. So I hope you're, you're ready for that and you're excited to learn uh, from, from God's word today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at how the spirit of God stopped Paul. We're going to see what Luke tells us. He's the writer. 
We're going to look at what we know and what we don't know. And I think that's an important thing. We'll talk more about that. And then what we can learn as as New Testament followers, New Covenant followers of Christ about following the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So like I said, a a lot to learn, a lot to gain here today. So let's pray and ask God and the Spirit of God to go before us. Lord God, we thank you for uh, this service already, for the time that we've had together to worship you in song, to sing truths about you, and, and then Lord, also to hear even testimony from, uh, from our children, to hear testimony of how you very uniquely brought someone to our church. Lord, just the way that you work, we just want to give you all the praise and the glory. And even now, we pray that you would help us to submit ourselves to the authority of your word. And Lord, this is something that we need to do daily. It's not, we don't do it once, but we do it honestly every day. We wake up and we continue to say, I believe and I submit myself to the truth of God, the truth of God's word. And so then we ask you, Lord, to teach us through that. Thank you for how you have revealed truth to us. And I pray that you would bless this time as we hear your word and as we respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Acts uh, chapter 16. You can turn there in your Bibles. Last week we left off at verse 5. We learned about Timothy and uh, uh, Luke was telling us how they prepared Timothy to go to go on the trip uh, that, that Paul had had circumcised him and we learned all about that and so now let's pick up in verse 6 and I'll read the passage that we're going to be looking at and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia and when they had come up to Mysia they attempted to go into Bithynia but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So a few verses, but 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 there's a lot to get wrong there. Uh, there really is. There's a lot in there that we could, we could go in a lot of different directions with in terms of how uh, we, uh, we understand, uh, in, in terms of how we interpret and then in terms of how we apply the scripture. So we're going to work our way through this. And the first thing I want to take notice of is that they were forbidden by the spirit. And, and as we think about that, I want to point out to you in verse six, the word They. Let's just make sure we're on the same page with who that is referencing. It's a reference here to Paul, to Silas, and to Timothy. We learned about that earlier in the chapter. They are the missionary group at this point. And the way that Luke writes this, Paul is talking about the direction he wants to go in. He decided to go west into the province of Asia, where cities like Ephesus and the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 were located. But something stopped him. 
Something prevented the group from going west into the province of Asia. So think about that. They, were, they had this intention. We're going to go west into the province of Asia. And you can kind of see where, where they started, where that flag is, Antioch, Syria. That's where the journey started. And now they're up at where Lystra is because that's where they were picking up Timothy. And they wanted to go west into that group there where it says Asia. But they were stopped and, then, and that's where... Where, where Luke, what Luke is telling us. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Think about that phrase. Because I hear, I hear a lot of people say we're, we're led by the Holy Spirit. But you don't hear too often. I, I, you know, someone say, I, I, I was forbidden by the Spirit. Yet that's precisely what Luke writes here. So we're going to dig into this. How were they forbidden? By the Holy Spirit. How were they forbidden by the Holy Spirit? And you're going to love this answer. We don't know for sure. And you're thinking, great, pastor. Isn't that why we came today? For you to tell us. Not for you to tell us you don't know. But, but this, this is important. I, I think part of what I've realized today in this message is there's like two applications happening. There's one that's the application of the text. But then there's the other how do we as Christians interpret the Bible properly? So I'm hoping you're going to learn some of that as we go through this. Well, here's why, here's why we don't know for sure. It's a really just amazing thing. Luke doesn't tell us. You know, sometimes we just need to pay attention to that. Now, what are the possibilities? Well, they're endless, right? Maybe it was divine revelation. Maybe it was a lack of peace. Maybe they, the journey, maybe they tried to go on a journey and the journey literally was stopped. They were literally prevented from going. Maybe there were some health issues. I, re- I read about all kinds of possibilities, but the, here's the bottom line. We don't know. We don't know. And so again, one hope that I have today is to help us be consistent interpreters of the Bible what I would call solid Bible expositors. And one principle that you, will, that you, should do, you should have in your mind as you're reading the Bible, especially when you're reading narrative, narrative, that's, that's what this is. This, is. this is narrative. You take note of what we're told and you take note of what you're not told. Even if you have to, you can have a notebook in front of you. You can write what I'm told, what I'm not told. And then you can help yourself. And the reason I say that is because I notice social media is just loaded with Christian posts. Just loaded. And you know what they reveal? When I, I, I've done like a little, just a little exercise on my own. How many of these are actually rooted in the truth of scripture? More that are sent that I read are not. But yet people are liking them, hearting them, sharing them. Awesome, great. Like we need to, this is the word of God. We, we shouldn't be so cavalier. We need to be a little bit more, wait a minute. What does God actually say? And so we want to do that. So let's approach this with biblical faithfulness. So what I want to do is show, talk about what we know for sure. What do we know for sure? What we know is that they were forbidden from going to Asia. How do we know that? Luke told told us that. The word Luke used is forbidden. If you break that word down in the Greek, it means to hinder, 
to prevent, to forbid, to deny, to refuse. So in some manner, this is what happened. They were forbidden from going to Asia. Second, we know this, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to guess at this. Luke makes that clear. The point is not how the Spirit prevented them. Did you hear that? It's not how. The point the text is making is that the Spirit of God did the forbidding. Third, they were forbidden from speaking the word of God. Notice what Luke tells us. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They weren't going to go. They were forbidden from going west into Asia. Where they were going to go and preach the word of God. The gospel. And you, you might be thinking there's, you know, there's, there's no way pastor. Never. Like never would God do that. He did do that. That's the point. Like this, this is, this is what, this is what it looks like to submit yourself to the authority of scripture is you don't say, well, that could never have happened because it did. This is his word. Just because that confuses us, just because it really doesn't, this does not make a really clean, easy social media post. No, it's not intended to. It's just the truth. The Holy Spirit here forbade the ministry of the word in Asia, at least for now. And he doesn't need to explain anything else. So yes, what we can learn is it's actually more faithful to obey the spirit of God than it is to do something righteous on our own, apart from God. Well, I'm going to do this because I just know it's the right. How could it not be the right thing to do? Here we have obedience to the spirit. We need to learn that. Paul didn't ignore the spirit. He didn't say, that can't be you directing us. That can't be the spirit. I'm doing good. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm going west into Asia. They need to hear it. No, the spirit's saying no. We're not going. So they don't go. We can learn from this. Rather than focus on the how, which was not told to us. Again, not told. Rather than focus on the why, why did this happen? Not told. Focus on what they did know. And what did they know? They knew it was the spirit of God forbidding them. So they didn't go simple as that. This is what we would call faithfulness. This is what faithfulness looks like. So this is the first part, but then more happens here. Verse seven, they're disallowed by the spirit. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So the missionary group does not go west into Asia. Instead, they traveled north. So they were going to go west into Asia. Then they said, okay, we can't do that. So we're going to go up and you can see up there by the Black Sea, Bithynia. And they were going to head up there and say, oh, we'll go up there. There's cities, uh, Nicaea's up there, uh, Byzantium's there. We'll go and we'll, we'll, we'll preach the gospel there. Well, what happens? Luke says, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. They're stopped. They can't go there either. Again, what is going on? Maybe they're misreading the signs. Nope. Luke is clear. God is directing them. 
So how are they disallowed from going into Bithynia? Here's another great answer. We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. But let's spend the rest of our time speculating. Because that'll be a whole lot of fun. And I'm not saying that's a terrible thing to do. Like when you're talking with somebody and you're in the text and you kind of already address. We're not really sure. But what do you think? And we're having a conversation. I'm I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But what we're doing is we're, we're establishing what we know and what we don't know first. And I would say the same possibilities exist here. Maybe divine revelation. Journey literally stopped. Maybe there were health issues. We're not sure. So what do we know about this? Let's look at what we do know. Because there's plenty that Luke tells us. So many times we miss what the scripture says. Because we're all focused on trying to answer what it doesn't. What do we know? They were prevented from going to Bithynia. They were not allowed to go there. We know that. We don't know how it happened. But we know that they were disallowed from getting to Bithynia. Second, they were disallowed by the spirit of Jesus is how Luke writes this. So this was not some random thing that happened. This, isn't what, this wasn't like a trip up there and Timothy's a young guy and he's like, Paul, I'm really getting tired. It's hot. I'm hungry. Can we just stop? No, that's not what this is. This is, this is they, were, they were disallowed by the spirit of Jesus. And I'm going to explain why Luke used spirit of Jesus in a moment. So I'll get back to that. Because if you're wondering, if you're going, why does it say spirit of Jesus? That's a good question. Third, they were disallowed from engaging in gospel ministry in Bithynia. Again, similar to what we learned before. Again, we don't know why. We don't understand it all. We don't know how this disallowing happened, but we do know it was God that prevented them from going. And here's, here's, here's what I think is just as important. Luke tells us it was God and they knew it was God. That, that's, that's important. The most important thing for this group of missionaries to know is that they were being stopped from going to this area and and it wasn't just they were being stopped, it was God stopping them. See, it's not enough for them to just realize, all right, you know, it's just not working out for us to go up there. We're not gonna go. No, it was more of a recognition. God is doing something here. We're gonna respond with faith and obedience. Okay, so I'm going to get back to the narrative in a little bit. Let me explain this spirit of Jesus. Let me start by telling you who he is not. And then we'll go to who he is so that we, have a, we, don't, we don't misunderstand this. Uh, he's not the fourth person of the Godhead. Okay, we're not talking about a, a, an addition here. He's not a different Jesus. He's not, a, he's not a never before seen version of, G, you know, of this Jesus. There's Jesus, God in the flesh, and then there's Jesus, the spirit of Jesus. That's not what this is. So we're not, we're not, we don't want to, we don't want to go there. And he's not a combination of both Jesus and the Holy Spirit into one being. That's not what it is. It's not some kind of uh, combination here where they form some sort of new superhero divine presence. It's not it. So let's go to what it, what it is. Well, this spirit of Jesus, I believe, is a reference to the person of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is not the same person as God the Son. So our, our kids were just explaining this to us. Maybe I should bring Rachel up and have her go over again, you know. He's not medium. You know, we, we, we need to remember that Paul, what he does in the text is he refers to the Spirit in different ways. Philippians 1.19, Paul writes... For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, there's a phrase, this will turn out for my deliverance. Then in Galatians 4, he writes, and because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So we have two references here, different ways of speaking to the person of the Holy Spirit. Paul understood the Holy Spirit of God, God the Spirit, to do the work of Christ. He understood that. Jesus himself said that in John chapter 14, that when he comes, he's not going to come just to do what it is that he wants, but he's going to be doing what the father wants and all that he does is going to be done to bring glory to Christ and to point people to Christ. Luke, we know from scripture again it has been mentored by Paul, he would have an understanding similar to Paul of his understanding of the spirit. And so it would make sense that, he, that they would think of this in the same way. To refer to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of Jesus is really simply to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit and God, the Son, are united in mission. So just, just to be clear on, on Trinitarian theology, because I think we, we, do have, uh, we do get in bad habits with this, uh, even, as, even today. Three separate persons of the triune Godhead, united as one in mission, one God. But three separate distinct persons. We need to remember that. But one God. But that unity as one God never means, don't, don't assume this and don't even speak it this way, it never means that they lose their distinction as separate persons of the Godhead. So when you say God, you're not talking about three that turned into one because... Their three are always distinct, serving in such unity, one God. I'm not going to go any further because we could spend the rest of our time there. But for the apostles, having the spirit with them. Remember, remember the book of Acts when we started, right? In Acts chapter 1, they were waiting in Jerusalem after Jesus ascended. And Jesus said, wait until the spirit comes. Because after Jesus left, when the spirit came, it was like having Jesus with them, but not physically, not, not, not to touch the way, they, the way they could when he was the God man walking the planet. And again, that's precisely what Jesus told them. He said it would, it would be better if he left so the spirit could come. Okay. So now back to the, back to the narrative. Verse 9, we'll see the Macedonian vision. 
And the vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go, uh, go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here we have another divine, supernatural occurrence, right? Two, two times now, no, now a vision. So this missionary group, they go down to Troas, which is like a port city. They've been blocked now on two fronts already. God is clearly directing them to Macedonia and he chooses, God does, in his divine sovereignty, he chooses to use a vision to do it. This is a descriptive event. It's not a prescriptive one. We don't read it. And and what I mean by that is this is how you interpret this text. You don't read this and go, oh, I should expect the exact same thing to happen to me. That would be you reading it prescriptively. Like, oh, I got to read this and it should happen to me. He's describing what happened. You've got to ask the spirit of God to help you interpret it the right way so you can understand what it does mean for you and how you should respond. But nothing in this account is telling us to expect the same kind of experience, especially since this is a very significant event for the church. What happened here? In Macedonia, it was very significant. I'm going to explain that in a little bit. I'm going to get back to, uh, to you on that significance in a little bit. But let's, go about, let's, let's talk more about the vision. Well, we don't know who the man in the vision was. We also don't have any details, really, about the vision. We just have a man and a message. Come over to Macedonia and help us. So let's continue to stay consistent in our Bible interpretation And let's see what the text says. So what do we know about this vision? We know that a vision appeared to Paul at night first. We don't know if it's a dream. We don't know if he was sleeping. We don't don't know. What, what, What we do know is that a vision appeared to him at night. We we don't have any evidence that Paul was praying to receive a vision. It seems that God did this of his own accord to guide and direct them. Second, the man in the vision is not identified, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. Luke doesn't tell us who the man is. And and listen, just to be clear, the Bible doesn't forget things. So when you're reading an account and you're going, man, I wish they would have told us who that is. You know, the Godhead in heaven is going, yeah, there's a couple things we really, we missed. Wish we would have really put it in there. We didn't tell them who the Macedonian was. Man, no, that, th- this is exactly what God intended for us to have. You need to remember that. Every time you read this, this is what God intended for you to have for himself to be revealed to you. Amen. You have all you need. So what we can understand, well, the man in the vision is not identified, so it's probably not necessary to the point that's being made and to why Luke included it under the inspiration, guidance, leading of the Holy Spirit. We can trust that. The message is clear. Come over to Macedonia and help us. There's nothing cryptic or confusing to solve about this message, is there? I mean, I could take our youngest person today, bring him up on stage and say, I'm going to give you the vision that Paul got, and I want you to tell me what you think it means. Come over to Macedonia and help us. 
right? We can have a fourth grader up there and go, the people in Macedonia need help. Go to Macedonia. This is not a, it's not a puzzle. It's not a mystery to be solved. It's not a cipher. This isn't a, a scene from the, the old National Treasure movie, you know, where it's like, you know, you put the key in and you turn it, you know, and the light shines. And then all of a sudden you see the letter, you spin it upside down. You know, you do all these things and all these, all these uh, letters and, and things appear. That's not what this is. When, when people try to replicate and create visions today, what I find a lot is they're not clear. People don't know what it means. They don't know how to apply it. This is not that. This is very much not that. This message could not be any clearer. Come to Macedonia and help us. Okay, no mystery. Fourth, Paul knows what the message means. He doesn't mess it up. Paul and the team conclude in faith that the Spirit is leading them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. You could imagine, right? Paul has this vision at night. And he, and he says, uh, Timothy, Silas, I had a vision. There's a man who says, come to Macedonia and help us. What do you think we should do? All right. I see Silas is already packing his bags. We're, we're going, right? They go to Macedonia, mystery solved. The vision brought them to a faith-filled conclusion. And I, and I really like the way that Luke writes this because he, he puts it in a way where they drew a conclusion, but they drew that conclusion in faith. This wasn't even, even through the vision, it wasn't even a God told them type of thing. It was a God showed them and they responded in faith to go preach the gospel in Macedonia. It wasn't a confusing symbolic vision. It wasn't about wealth. It wasn't about foretelling the future. It wasn't about Paul. The vision was about preaching the gospel in Macedonia. And this differs so much from the stories today about visions from God that are confusing, unclear, fortune-telling, typically prospering the one who had the vision, usually about them. None of that was true. And here, here's something else we know about this. It was from God. We know that. Why? Because he tells us. So this is what happens when you focus on what is said and not on just Conjecture, it actually helps us to understand the text better. Something else I want you to notice in verse 10. This is the first of the we passages. And you're like, what did you just say? The, the we passages, not the game system, but the, the pronoun. Now, notice you'll see that Luke changes pronouns here in verse 10. And this didn't need, used to need explanation, but now it does. He changes pronouns in verse 10, but not, not in that way, not in, not in a bad way. He said they, and now in verse 10, he says we. And, and, and it's actually significant because it's, it's understood to be when Luke, who's our writer, now joins the mission. So he's included now. So it's Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke are coming together. 
Now, earlier I told you the trip to Macedonia, I told you that it's quite a significant event for the church. And that may be the reason God used division to send them. I don't know. And again, I'm not going to focus on that. We just know that he did. But it was, it definitively was a significant event for the church. What was the significance of going into Macedonia? It's the first time the gospel went to the continent of Europe. Just think about that. The gospel gets to Europe. Paul, the apostle, is the first person that that we're aware of to preach the gospel on the soil and the continent of Europe. The gospel gets to the West. And we are all the fruit of that mission. We're reading about something that happened that we can say, trace it back and say, we're the fruit. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we need to be amazed by, by God's word, by God's truth, and by what God is doing. God's divine plan of the gospel going to the ends of the earth is happening. It's happening. And I want you to notice how it happened. How did it happen? The Holy Spirit said no twice. Then a clear and simple divine message come to Macedonia. Just amazing to think about how God is working. You think about Acts chapter 1 I mentioned earlier. When, when all the apostles were sitting in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And then we studied this when we looked at Acts 2 and Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming. And how they were going to bring the gospel and take it from Jerusalem to Judea, to Judea to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And here we are going to Europe with the gospel in a way that Paul probably never imagined it would happen in this way. So we'll pick up with the rest of the narrative as we continue on in the, in the series. But I want to ask a question. How do you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit? I want to go back to what I asked earlier. How do you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit? Do you, do you have any sense whatsoever of the Spirit's presence, leading, guiding, and directing in your life. You should, if you're a believer, and the Holy Spirit is in you, you should have a sense of what it, of what it is like for him to guide you. How can you tell if the Spirit is saying no, stop, go, wait, not yet, now, and it's not, and it's not mystic. It's not mystical. I don't want, I don't want you to get that sense because we don't have that here. Even this is not mystical. It's spiritual, supernatural of faith rooted in truth. So I want to give you some pastoral biblical counsel on how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Just want to give you three things to think about. First one is this, you must obey the revealed truth of God in scripture. So to follow the spirit, you need to be obeying what's already been revealed 
by God in his word. So if you're, if you're actively disobeying the word, I can tell you in that instance, you're not following the spirit. You're on your own. If you want to follow the leading of the spirit, you will start by doing what the word of God says to do. Because the spirit of God is never going to oppose the revealed word of God. We talked about this when we did our study of the Holy Spirit a couple years back. So you want, you, if, you're, if you're out there and you're like, oh, yes, pastor, I want to know how the spirit leads me. Don't try to find some mystical thing. Don't, don't sit in a room by yourself in the dark, you know, have candles burning, smelling incense, you know, with your, with your hands in the air. Read the word of God. Get into the word and ask the spirit of God to take this living word and make it alive in you. And, and, and ask him to reveal truth to you so that you can hear and know and, and be led by him. That you have, a, you have a strong desire not to do anything apart from his leading. This is what he wants to hear. Second, you must faithfully respond to open doors and closed doors. Some doors open, some doors close. Now, I was thinking about this story and it... It, it really uh, just amazed me. I was amazed by this story and I continue to be. But I was thinking about when they left Antioch, right? After the Jerusalem council and Paul and Barnabas, they have their, their uh, sharp disagreement, right? And they go their different ways. Do you remember why they were, why they were going? Do you remember what the, what the text said? It said they were leaving to strengthen the churches, Keep, just remember that phrase. Just keep that phrase as, a, as an Acts 15. I'm going to hold on to that and not, not, lose, not, not lose that. That's why they were leaving. They're going to go strengthen the churches. That's it. Strengthen the churches. And then what happened? God started opening and closing doors. Right? God did it. They weren't just knocking them down or you know, making it happen. God did it. One, one door that got closed is you're, you're, you're not going to be going with Barnabas. You're going to be going with Silas. Barnabas is going with John Mark. Then maybe they didn't see that coming happen, or happening, but it did. And, and the, the track that it brought them, not being able to go west into Asia, not being able to go north up into Bithynia, and then the vision to go ended up with Paul bringing the gospel for the first time to Europe and it all happened because God himself was opening and closing doors. But all they wanted to do was strengthen the churches. Several closed doors, several open ones, but God is the one who opens and closes doors. We studied this even when we were looking in the book of uh, a couple, couple of years ago, when we were looking at Revelation 1, 2, and 3 in the, in the letter to the seven churches, we saw this same truth come out. God is the one that opens and closes doors. We need to be faithful to what he's doing. See, we don't go into it with God, here's what's going to happen. You can be sure God's going to redirect you if that's your approach. We just need to be faithful. And in this account today, what we have here is we have closed doors. Nope, you're not going there. Nope, you're not going there. 
And it led the closed doors. Don't, don't lose sight of this. It was a closed door that led to a divinely appointed ministry opportunity. Did you hear that? Closed doors led to that. We don't like closed doors, right? How many of you love closed doors? You know, I'm praying for this, I'm praying for that. God, please don't close that door. But that's what we have here. The doors were closing, but by closing, God was directing. Paul had to follow in faith and not get frustrated with God. God, what are you doing? Why are you stopping us? Why are you... I thought you wanted us to go do this. I thought you wanted us to go do that. I thought you wanted us, you know, to, I thought we were called to the ministry. I thought we were this. I thought we were that. Why are you closing doors? No, it just seems like we're not going there. We're not going there. Where are we going, God? What are you doing? How, how is it working? We need, to, we need to have that kind of faith and let God lead us as he desires to lead us. Paul didn't get frustrated here. He just followed the leading of his, of his God. You must not get distracted with circumstances. Just focus on who is leading you. What, what I mean by the distracted by circumstances is the fact that this account is filled with unanswered questions. And let's be honest, we don't like unanswered questions. You know, God... We're reading this and we go, how did you actually stop them, God? Didn't tell you that. Who was the man in division? Didn't tell you that. You know, why did this happen? Why did, you know, didn't tell you that. Why did you do it this way? Why didn't you do it this way? You know, don't get distracted with the hows and the whys and the what ifs. Because we could do that all day. Like, God, where are you leading? God, what, what are you doing? God, why didn't... I thought you were going to do this, but you did that instead. God, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if this and that happens? You know, God, what are we supposed to do? None of that was the point in all of this. If you can, if you can drill down this account and say, okay, what was the point? What, what is God making clear? He's making clear that God was the one doing all of this. God is the one. God is the one doing it. He's the one who has, who, has been, who has been leading this story the whole way through. It was all of God. The spirit of God was leading and guiding. Paul just needed to follow in faith. And it's the same with each one of us. We have to recognize something. God is the one at work. I'm in ministry full time. It can easily get I'm at work. God is at work, right? We need to focus on him. We need to depend on him. We need to follow his lead. It doesn't matter a bit if we just go and do what we want to do. We need to do what it is that God is leading us to do. Focus on him. Focus on his spirit because the spirit of God is the one that leads us as a New Testament church. So let his spirit guide you and direct you, not in some mystical way, but in a faithful, truthful way. And then may we just all be faithful to him because that's what he's calling us to. And I hope that is, is encouraging to you and also helping you to understand 
this passage in even a better way. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for working in ways that sometimes we do not understand or would even ask you to. Uh, Certainly would not be our way, but Lord, you are... You are God. We are not. You, You have all knowledge and wisdom. Help us to be faithful to you, to trust you. When you open a door and when you close a door, may we simply trust you and lean on your truth, the truth of your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God, for the way that you lead us, for the way that you guide us, for the way that you convict us of sin, for the way that you illuminate truth to us. May we be sensitive, Spirit of God, to your presence in each one of us. I pray that for each person here that is a believer that knows that the spirit indwells them, that they would leave with a sense of your presence and to, to, to be alert and sensitive to the spirit of God and what he desires. We thank you for going before us in Jesus name. Amen.